Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome back from spring break. So who traveled the furthest? Fifteen minutes away. Okay. <laughs> Anybody beat fifteen minutes? Where was three hours? Uh, to Dallas. Anybody beat Dallas? Joplin, Missouri. That's good. That's what about four hours? Three hours? Oh, okay. All right. Anybody beat Joplin? No. Uh, we did the old California trip and uh, twenty-five hours in the car both ways. So it was. It's actually, the weather, the weather was great, um, and it was fun. So we uh, ended up going to Disneyland on um, Monday, and it was great weather, and just everything worked out real well. Uh, it is incredible how much money you can spend at Disneyland. <laughs> so uh, we have never been to Florida before, to Orlando, to Disney there, and so I think we'll just, like, you know, take out a huge bank loan or something next time when we go. That's what I've heard. So, um, but, yeah, yeah. So, and of course, Harry Potter's there too in Orlando now. Which one of my students last semester had just gone to the Harry Potter in Orlando, and that's what she did her Pechacucha on, which was really, really cool. So my six-year-old was there. Are they? Because I have somebody I know who just went this last time, uh-huh. and they said that they... They enjoyed it, but they would wait to go again next time until they updated because apparently they had all these things that they're trying to do. My parents were there a couple of weeks ago, um, actually when the Discovery um, launched, and it, um, I think the Harry Potter was their, was their favorite thing for sure. So anyway, very, very fun. So we kind of shut down the whole park. We stayed till uh, the fireworks and everything like that um, that night. And uh, we have some relatives that live in uh, Newport Beach, so we got to, girls were dancing on a, one of the shows, um, they uh, were out of town and let us use their house. So, and then my wife was at her children's pastor's conference, which was really, really great. So anyway, fun stuff. How many of you shared photos over spring break with somebody using Facebook or another website? Anybody share pictures? And that could be photos that you saw of somebody. or and I don't know if I've shared that statistic, but Facebook is now the number one photo sharing site in the world. And the number of photos just on New Year's Eve alone that was, were shared, it was in the millions. I mean, it's incredible how many, how many photos are being shared there. So we have got quite a few Pecha Kucha presentations to do today. So um, I'm going to uh, quickly go into our... Uh, app share and our uh, video for today. Uh, I think I'll do the app share first and then we'll, we'll do the video um, because the app share ties to photographs. The app share I've got linked on our page and by the way make sure you click our 9 a.m. link there and uh, check in for our, your attendance today um, is, a, is a little app called Tumblr and has anybody heard of a Photo 365 project before? Have I talked about that before in this class? A 365 project is, is a pretty easy idea. It's just let's take a picture every day and let's post it. And so I'm going to show you um, a free app called Tumblr. You can create a Tumblr blog for free. I've mapped mine, which meant I, I own the domain westfriar.com, and so I just made my Tumblr blog go to 365.westfriar.com. You can do that for free. 
But uh, this is a picture I took uh, yesterday, well, day before yesterday. My middle daughter just got new glasses. And uh, anybody notice anything unusual about that picture? Yeah, it's like colorized or some of it's black and white. Have you seen those greeting cards where they have the, the guy handing the rose to the girl and the rose is red and everything else is black and white? Well, that is a effect that you can um, do with a, a, a dollar app, a 99 cent app called the Color Splash. Um, and that's the one that I used yesterday for that picture. So it, the, the 365 project basically is just encouraging people to um, take pictures continually and focus on, you know, your photography. And it's also kind of fun for memory. So sometimes I'm artistic. This was a horrible picture of the supermoon. You know, it was like, what, the closest to the moon's going to be to the Earth in how many years? I don't know how to take a good picture of the moon at night, okay? Particularly when I'm in the car, you know, when we're in Gallup, New Mexico, which is what that was. So, anyway, that's more of a documentation of, yes, we saw the supermoon rise. But was it cloudy here that night? or? It was amazing. Um, I mean, and it just totally doesn't give it justice to try to look at a picture. So... Um, one of the things that was wild this year is uh, there's an app that we use called Glimpse, and it lets you share your location for a period of time with folks. And so our parents, mine are in Kansas, and so my wife's are here in Oklahoma City, you know, we're always wanting to know where we are and stuff. And so you can glimpse, and they can literally just see exactly, you know, where, where you are going across the country. Yeah, and, and it just shares it privately with that individual. It just sends them a private text message, and they are allowed to see it if you want to just let them see it for 15 minutes or if you want them to, you know, see it for four hours or whatever. So it's called, it's called Glimpse. Um, um, you set it up. Yeah, and, and geolocated apps are an important thing to talk about, you know, as far as safety. Um you set it up as the owner of your your geo maps or your GPS enabled device. So pretty much any kind of phone that you have. Um, yeah, this is free. It doesn't cost anything. I mean, you have to have obviously an iPhone or I don't know if this works on Android or not. Um, one of the ways this is cool, we've used another one called Looped, and when you're meeting somebody somewhere, you can see where exactly you know where where they are. Uh, anyway, that's kind of cool. So anyway, that was an unusual picture. But there's other other pictures, you know, we just kind of post. This was kind of cool. We went to the Air and Space Museum in San Diego, and there was this infrared camera, and we learned that my daughter and my wife have cold noses because this showed temperatures by infrared. You can see the gl my glasses were cold, you know, on my face. And so anyway, that was kind of, kind of fun, cold noses on two of them. So um, some of these pictures will use different effects. I use... Uh, a different effect there to um, sort of put a what's called a vignette around the edges of that starfish. That was just a straight, you know, picture of Rachel. This one I uh, used an app that kind of makes it look a little artsy, you know, more like a, a painting. Um, so there's all kinds of things you can do. So um, that was uh, this is a, a color filter that I applied. Um, there's a, there's a word now called iPhoneography, and there's a book I just learned about here recently that's going to come out in April um, that's just about iPhone pictures, you know. I think the most valuable picture camera that you can have is the camera that you have with you, okay. If you have an expensive, nice camera, that's great, but if you don't have it to take pictures when you want to take pictures, then, you know, it doesn't do you a lot of good. 
So, uh, Voto365 project, um, different people are doing those kind of projects. I did link to um, my project, and I think, I don't know if I've, I don't think I've got really links on, I guess I do to some. These are some other people uh, doing Photo365 projects. This is a friend of mine, Ryan, who lives in Ohio. Ooh, look at that. Okay. He's, I think he's falling off the wagon if he's doing the 21st. So, it's, it is, it, you know, are you going to do something every day for the whole year? It's kind of, kind of challenging to, to say I'm going to do that. But the app I'm going to show you is called Tumblr. And uh, Tumblr's uh, free app, and the website is free. It's what's called a quick blog, and so you can set up. Um, I really like actually Posturus better because Posturus works with email. All you do is send an email, and you can post text Im links, uh, audio images, video, anything to a website that that you set up. I use Posturus a lot now to share things from my um, iPad. Uh, Tumblr, like Flickr, doesn't have an ER at the end. It's just T-U-M-B-L-R. And it's another, what, what I would call, quick blog. It's just a way to quickly post stuff. So, let's see if this is still going to work. Yay! I've got to install this app on the uh, computer so I don't have to plug in my laptop. So, this is my um, iPhone with different apps that I have. And um, I've got a lot of different photo capture apps. This uh, app that I'm going to uh, open up today, I actually use this Pro HDR app. Um, and H anybody know what HDR does for photography? Have you heard of that before? Um, go to Google real quick and Google HDR. Uh, and go to Wikipedia and uh, let's see what its definition is. I'm going to just click Auto HDR and I'm going to take a, a picture of our screen in the front of the room and I can put, turn on a little grid. Sometimes apps will have this to sort of help you keep it still. Anybody find the definition of HDR? I'm going to start taking the picture, and it's going to, going to change colors a little bit. What does it say about HDR? What, what, what does it stand for? Right, high dynamic range imaging. So what it means is that when it's taking a picture, it takes more than one, and it combines them together to make a higher, um, I don't even know the right word, to include more colors. You know how when you take a picture and it, huh, maybe this isn't liking, I think it didn't like, it didn't like it when I, some apps that I share like this, it, this little, this photo sharing method likes and then other times it doesn't. You know how when you take a picture in snow and it is washed out and you can't see things that are dark? Um, that's because the camera is exposing it for the real bright things that are in the screen. And usually when you take a picture it can't simultaneously show both the bright and the dark, okay? So an HDR image is going to, come on, an HDR image is going to, um, let's try to download iTunes, I don't want to do that. 
it's going to take more than one picture, and that is going to let um, the image that you take show more uh, darks and lights than you would otherwise. Okay, let's try this. Come on. Well, this is a very impressive demo. Um, maybe I can, I'll try one other thing. The um, the new iPad, which I actually picked one up in Amarillo on our way out to California, because it's a little <laughs> bit hard to find. Um, the best thing about the new iPad, it has two cameras, one for video conferencing uh, with FaceTime on the front, and then it has a rear camera. But I actually think the best thing about it is that it supports video out. Um, Have you that? Yeah, that's what I'm plugging in right now. So what I was trying to do with that application was um, I was trying to get it there's a mirroring mode that it has. But the, the new iPad totally mirrors everything that you're doing and sends it out to the screen, which is great. So um, I won't be able to give you a total demo because this is new. And anybody know when you need to get an iPhone or iPad in, onto the um, network here at UCO what you have to do? Yeah, and you got to give them the silly number because when they bought the system that does wireless, it's a proprietary for Windows machines, and you know they should have bought bought an actual system that functions with other other kinds of devices. But you have to take it and you go get this network number um, anyway, and they they give you the number and you get on the wireless. So I can't get on the wireless, but I can show you the app. Maybe if I have Tumblr on here. Yeah, so it's about four times faster. Um, okay, I've got it under social. So I've got different categories. So here's the Tumblr app. So you take pictures on your device with whatever, you know, kinds of apps that you want. There's different, you know, you have the regular camera app. In fact, uh, I don't know if this one has HDR um, when you take a picture. The iPhone has HDR. I don't think this one, well, maybe it does. Let me switch over. The iPhone has a little icon that you can do at the top to turn HDR on and off. Um, it's got Zoom and stuff like that. That's good. But okay, whatever. You take take the picture that you want, um, and you've got photos that are in your photo roll. So I've got uh, images and I've got videos. A lot of these are from our trip. And so I could take one of these pictures that I want to share. I can um, open it in the Tumblr app. So here's Tumblr. I'm going to open it up. And of course, I'm going to need to log in. It's telling me I'm not connected to the internet. One of the new things that the, the latest iPhone 4.3 software uh, lets you do is it lets you have a personal hotspot. So if you want to share your phone connection to a laptop or an iPad or something else, it actually lets you do that. So we will see if that will, if that will work for me. Ta -da. And I think it will. 
All right, so I'm now on the internet through my phone. Okay, so let's try this again. So this is the Tumblr blog that's out there on the web. And so if I want to put a new picture on it, I could go to the, the website Tumblr, but it's even faster to go to an app and to launch the app and post it from inside the application. So I'm going to go through these steps, but I'm not going to actually post it. Another thing that's nice about the new um, iOS version is you can double click and you'll see all the icons that you have running. So like all these, all these programs that I have are ones that are actually not necessarily taking up memory, but they're running right now. And if I hold down my finger on one of them, I get the jiggling little icons and I can close them. Um, so I will do that to relaunch Tumblr and start over. All right, so if I would like to post to my Tumblr blog, um, I can go here to post, and you can see there's all these different kinds of content that I can put up, photos, text, um, video, any of that kind of stuff. So I'm simply going to click on photo, and it says, do you want to take a new photo or choose an existing? Well, usually I will take the picture first and have it on my camera roll. So I'll select the picture that I want. Let's say I wanted to do that picture of Sarah. Um, then I put whatever description that I want. So I don't know if today's the 81st. I, I, I learned from other people doing 365 projects. Sometimes they'll, they'll do that to kind of show what their photo is. And I could call this making candles. And I didn't capitalize my first word. So. And then I'll put in um, some hashtags. And when you are cross-posting to Twitter, which I've got mine set to go to my Twitter account, People will follow different hashtags, and that's one way, for instance, the stuff that's going on in Libya right now, the things that have happened in Egypt and Tunisia and all the revolutions and things, there are um, different hashtags that people are using to track um, those kinds of events. So people who are interested in iPhone photography will use the hashtag iPhoneography, and then sometimes people will use the 365. So the one other thing that I'll do when I post is I go here and choose to send it to Twitter and let people answer. I could put other tags on here if I wanted to. But when I click post, if I wanted to post that as my photo today, that photo would immediately go up and be live on my Tumblr site. So one of the things that I am encouraging more teachers to do now is to think about, um, well, number one, just ways that they can talk with media and communicate with media. I'm working on finishing a book before this summer um, that's called Talk With Media, and I've started the website uh, for that on talkwithmedia.com. We grew up, all of us, in a, in a century, in a time when it was a lot harder to create with media and to be able to publish and share it, but now we can do that in all different kinds of ways. So. You know, we need personally to be using media more and eventually to be having our students use media more. So under the image section, um, we're going to talk today about this. This is our topic, is Creative Commons after we finish, and, uh, and copyright, after we do our um, Pecha Kuchas today. But, um, you know, there are different applications that you can use for uh, sharing your own images, places that you can find them, and uh, 365 projects are a great way. Think about that. Just have, have your students take a picture. It doesn't have to include anybody in the room. Uh, it could just represent, you know, some learning that you're doing, um, a lesson that you're doing. Have a picture a day that goes and, and gets published. 
um, to the web. These are some of the different applications that I've used um, for editing. This FX Studio is really good. I think colors, is Color Splash on there? Yeah, Color Splash is there too. So those are linked from the Talk With Media site. So that's far more than I had intended to do, but unfortunately this, this iDemo thing is not a, not a real slick way to demonstrate stuff. So I'm excited that the new iPad lets you just plug it into a projector and you can go with it. Any comments or thoughts on photography apps or, or sharing? Does anybody use a website right now to share um, pictures that you take on uh, a phone or that you kind of can share on the fly? Instagram. Instagram? Yeah, Instagram is really popular. Uh, and I think Instagram also works on um, Android and other kinds of phones too. So, what do you like about Instagram? Um, I like that you, it's like a, it's like a pin pal kind of thing, which is really cool. Because you can see people's photos from all over the world and everybody comments on stuff. And so, it's a whole, it's a whole community, yeah. right, for, for photo sharing as but well. it's just through photos, which is really cool. So. Right. Because photos transcend language, right? I can, I can, you know, totally not even speak English yeah. and still communicate with you and helping you know about what I'm doing, what I've seen, what I've experienced. And that's part of the power of media. Images are just really, really powerful. Cool. Um, I, I might next year, I wanted to learn more about Tumblr, and that's kind of why I set up my 365 project on Tumblr. But I, I, I might, you know, use Instagram next year. I'm not sure. This is one I think is really cool. It's called Tune Camera, and it makes your pictures basically into look like a cartoon. That one picture of Alexander uh, with holding his burrito, I think I might have taken it with it. Um, so there's just a lot of these apps, and they're just, you know, most of them are pretty inexpensive. They're either free or they're like 99 cents. So I use Photoshop Express a lot because it uh, is a real easy, this free, and it's a real easy way to crop images and, and add, you know, just kind of some basic kinds of uh edits and stuff like that. So, all right, well that's fun stuff. I could talk about that all day long, but we're not going to. Um, so, let's talk a little about, about copyright and then we're going to do our Pecha Cooches. Um, I have not graded everybody's projects. I don't know if I'm halfway through. One of the things that you might expect, or maybe not, but I've, I've really enjoyed grading your scratch projects and I've like wanted to play with them and look at them and, you know, so it's more than just looking at it for three seconds and giving you a grade. So um, I hope by next week I will have um, all of your um, projects uh, through the spring break assignments graded. If you look at our assignments calendar, we talked about how to screencast last week and next Friday on April 1st, your screencasting assignment is gonna be due. Today we should have our last Pecha Kucha presentations done and so the assignment this week is to write a reflection uh, in three paragraphs about your Pecha Kucha, and that's going to be due on Friday. So that's kind of where we are with our, um, with our assignments. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about copyright, and this information is stuff that will be on the final. Um, it's not going to be something that you're going to have an assignment that you have to, to do something on this week. Um, but what I'd like to share for our, photo, for our video today is a video, I'm gonna show you three videos to talk about copyright today. And the first one is this, this it's called What's Copyright? So before we do this one, um, I'm gonna do my little online timer and I want you to 
take 60 seconds and I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to tell them what advice are you going to give students right now or based on your understanding of copyright right now. What are you planning to tell students they can do or not do with pictures and video and music, any kind of media, when they make a project for class? All right? What's your advice that you're going to give a student right now today based on what you know about copyright? Okay, take 60 seconds and talk to somebody about that. And if you need to move to another spot. Okay, I heard a lot of good ideas. What were some things that you shared or your neighbor shared that you might <laughs> say as advice? Be sure to give credit to the sources of the person. Okay, give credit to sources. You know that the lawyer never asks to see your bibliography. We think we do that as academics, and I had that misconception a lot. I thought, man, I'm always going to credit my sources, and I'm going to be fine. Lawyers don't care if you follow MLA or not. That's not how they determine fair use or not. So we are going to say that. You are correct. Because we are in academia. We give credit where credit is due. It's part of what we do. But that is not going to keep us out of trouble when it comes to copyright. But we're definitely going to talk about attribution. However, properly attributing our sources is a different thing than saying, are you following copyright? What else? After that response, nobody's going to say anything else. <laughs> we talked about um, using and how much you can use and you know, you can use any music, but you just can't, um, for educational purposes, but you just can't sell it. Okay. What about Disney stuff? Disney stuff. You sure? Oh, but if we use part of it. So if I use just part of the Mickey Mouse thing and do that, that'll be okay. Okay, so the idea of portion limits and there being, you know, some restrictions on how much we can use is something that we've probably heard something about. We've probably heard maybe about Disney and lawsuit that some teacher got sued somewhere for using Disney things. There's a difference when we use stuff for um, a educational project versus if we sell. So those are all um, good ideas. We are going to, the three videos we're going to see today come, and we've got these linked on our, our copyright and fair use, um, come from this page, and we're going to see this first one called What's Copyright? My advice for you when it comes to copyright is this, and we'll talk about this several times, but the complicated stuff is fair use, and that's what we've started to get into right now. Ooh, can I use a Disney picture? Oh, can I use that song? Oh, how much of it could I use? Uh, oh, what kind of project am I doing it? All of those things come into fair use. And I'm going to show you about a, I don't know, two-minute video that uses di clips from Disney movies. 
that explains fair use better than I definitely could in 60 seconds. That's the last thing to talk about, though. If there's a way to avoid that complicated conversation, we'd like to, I think we should do that. And so by using things that are homegrown or in the public domain, we can not even worry about copyright. Because what does public domain mean? It's in the commons. Everybody can do anything they want to with it, like NASA pictures, like old, old um, songs and, and works that have passed into the public domain, like Mark Twain's works, are no longer in copyright. So you can do anything you want. You could even resell Twain's works because they are in the public domain. They are no longer protected by copyright. Homegrown stuff like a shoebox full of pictures that your grandmother has upstairs, okay? Pictures that you take. There's still limits to what you can do. If I take your picture, I need your permission to go, you know, run a national ad campaign, um, and, and I should get that. Um, but if I'm taking a picture of my dog and I'm taking, you know, pictures out in public of public places, there's a lot of things that I can do without permission. I, I actually have a question about that. Okay. Public places. Um, so if you're just, like, just taking pictures and there's, like, people walking around like that, um, would you have to get their permission? No, generally not. When it's in a, in a public space, whenever you're going to do something commercially, it's usually a good idea. But, you know, just to share pictures or to do things. And that sometimes... Well, like, for example, one of my classes, I'm I have to create a music video. Uh -huh. And I was thinking about getting some just, like, outdoor shots sure. and stuff like that. And I was trying to figure out how, how the laws work on that. Right. And that's a good thing to research, too, because there are laws that protect photographers. And, you know, sometimes in front of buildings, people will be like, oh, you can't take a picture. Wait a minute. Is this a public street? Is this a public place? You know, there are laws protecting photography and b being able to take pictures, um, particularly when, when they're scenes. You know, if it's an individual and it's close up on their face, that's going to be different than taking a shot in, you know, in the park or something like that in an area. So we're also, yes. We'll talk about that because fair use, um, whether it's being used for an educational purpose is part of what goes into fair use. You know, what's clearly illegal is like taking a film that you rent at Blockbuster or Redbox or something and um, selling tickets to come to the gym in the evening to raise money for the PTA or something like that. That happened at my school in Lubbock. They did that. That's clearly illegal. Um, it's also basically illegal to just use it for entertainment purposes. This happens all the time. At the end of every semester at my son's school in Oklahoma City, you know, all the DVDs come out, they're just watching movies, um, which I think is really unfortunate because, uh, gosh, are we done, you know, learning everything? And anyway, that, that using it just for an entertainment purpose is not um, complying with the law. So by using a worksheet, she's emphasizing that it's for an educational purpose. Generally, the best thing is to use clips, you know, use, use small amounts because you're going to be able to talk about it better, not seeing a whole hour-long, you know, hour-and-a-half-long program. Um, and so... So what about videos that are like, um, you know, those old videos that are from the 90s and like that? Mm-hmm. Like, what You can pretty much use just about anything uh, in an educational context. And one of the videos that I'm not going to show probably is this one called the, the Cost of Copyright Confusion. I don't know. We'll see if we do. This is video five. This is an awesome video. And 
it talks about how confused teachers are. You know, can I use this? My kids, because it's, it's even more or, um, challenging when kids want to make their own media. And what happens today is most teachers go, no, you can't use that. We're going to get in trouble. We're going to get sued. You know, and actually we have a lot of rights when it comes to fair use, especially if you're adding your own opinion, you're critiquing it. You know, simply taking a Lady Gaga song and putting it on YouTube, you know, with some pictures that you took is really not transformative. And that's probably not going to be fair use. But if I take excerpts of hers and then let me show you these lyrics and, oh, by the way, what does this mean? Let's, let's deconstruct this. Let's talk about what the message is. That's very different. So um, you can probably use most kinds of media, especially if you'll use them in portions and then you'll, you know, like your teacher was, you don't have to give a worksheet. Like that's not yeah. the, the ultimate litmus test. We have a worksheet. It's fair, you know. But um, if, when you're using it for for instruction and you're, you're and you know for a purpose, like I say, just showing it at the end of the semester because we're done with our tests and the teacher wants to grade assignments in class while everyone is occupied watching a TV, you know, that's not fair use. But um, anyway, the other thing we're going to talk about is Creative Commons. Um, and this this is a hugely important topic for us to talk about overall. There's just so much confusion. Um, there was a document written in 1986, and I don't know if I have that here. Um, I may not have that linked, but it was uh, it was called the, the Educational Guidelines for for Media, and that's where you got the you can only use 30 seconds, you can only use 5%, and those guidelines were created by well-intentioned people, but they that's it's not it's not the law. Um, as far as what's said. So let's take a look at this video and then we're going to talk more about copyright as we have time after we finish our Pedicuches. This video is from Temple University and from the Media Education Lab and it answers the question, what is copyright? A lot of people think, oh, it's just to you know protect companies. Oh, it's just to punish people. It's to put people in jail and to fine people. Well, copyright was originally created to promote creativity, to balance rights of the people with the inventors and the owners. And so it grants a limited time of protection, which Disney especially and other companies have extended now to be 70 years past the death of the, of the creator. Um, and so anyway, this is, a, this is a little silly. You're going to you know, see how this is probably something that will appeal to kids uh, because of the way that it's presented. But there's real important concepts here about what copyright is.
the option when we create things to share under a Creative Commons license, like many of the photos you've used for your Pecha Kuchas. And, you know, this particular video sets up the idea that copyright is not just to protect owner's rights. It's about balance and it's about creativity. And, you know, as we talk with our own students about copyright and when we use media and we create things, I think this is a good foundational video to, to use to kind of set that up for them. Any questions or thoughts about this particular video um, as it pertains to copyright? Okay. Um, let's go ahead and um, go to our Pecha Kuchas um, today. If you go to our schedule and you click on our PK student presentations, We've got our link to the peer evaluation form for today, and we've got quite a few folks that are that are up. So you can go first. Come on back. If you'll go ahead and open that up. Oh yeah, did you need to leave by ten? Yeah. Can you go second? Is that okay? Yes, that's right. No, go ahead. You you told me that earlier, so. Okay. And you, do you already have it set with the timings and everything? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It should okay. probably already run. Okay. I'll start anyway. it over. Okay. Here's your, there's your flashback. Oh, okay. So, actually, so you saved this as a PowerPoint show. Yeah, I did a slideshow of it. Okay. Yeah, it's Let me started. Started. I'll start again. <laughs> All right. Are you ready? Yes, uh, I'm ready. Okay, anyway, it's over alligators and crocodiles. The reason why I picked this is, is this is my, he was six spin, but he absolutely loves alligators. And um, that, that's my nine-year-old. But anyway, this was down in Florida at a place where you could feed them and hold them and do all of that. And every year we go to Florida, we have to go back to this place because we live there. This is just a little bit of his collection. This is him now. He's almost nine. Um, anyway, we also have Christmas ornaments. He has a rug. He has pencils and pencil toppers. He's just completely and totally just absolutely loves alligators. And so we've had to do a lot of research and things on them over that. His birthday's coming up Friday, and Aww. this is the cake I'm going to make. This is just made out of, um, the alligators are actually made out of candy molds, and you just add candies to them, and then you put them on top. I'm actually going to add a river and different things like that to it just to make it a little bit more swampy because that's how he wants it. But this is one that he found online. But I had to look online and find everything else. This was at the alligator farm in Florida. 
and this is the tail end of the alligator, but he was up and down that thing for I don't know how long. So finally, I, he laid across it, and he allowed me to uh, take a picture of him for just a minute. He's not real big on, you know, camera shots and all of that stuff, but this was the one place he had to go. This is just one of the exhibits at the alligator farm. Um, you can feed them. There's a little island off the way. This is the little moat area. Um, and we stay there for hours just watching them. Um, he actually wants us to build a moat around our house where he can actually have alligators <laughs> in it. And I told him that wasn't safe. This was where they actually go out and they'll feed them. And this is also at, at the alligator farm. They'll feed them. They'll do all of that kind of stuff and let you see. Um, they feed them chickens, but out in the wild they'll eat whatever comes at them. I mean, they don't, they're, they're not picky about their food supply or any of that kind of thing. And um, this is actually a female alligator. Um, they usually get to be about 11 to 13 feet long. Um, they can weigh up to about 1,000 pounds. Um, they generally, um, the males will get a little bit larger than that, but they generally run about true to size. This, they are located down in the Florida area, the Georgia, up the coastal, up to about North Carolina. They're in Texas. They're actually even in the southeast part of Oklahoma and in the southern part of Arkansas is where you can find American alligators. So yes, we do have them in Oklahoma. This is a saltwater crocodile. <laughs> um, these actually can get up to 20 feet long. They can weigh up to 2,900 pounds. And, um, they actually, their scales and stuff are a little bit around the neck. They're a little bit lighter where the hard part is, um, just for breathing <coughs> techniques. These are found more in the Australia area in the tropical regions. Um, they're, they're not found in America or anything. They're found in like the India, Australia, all in that area over in, in there where they can easily be um, uh, found, sorry. And these are uh, a nest. And the cool thing about alligator eggs is, is when they are, when they're laid, they don't, do not have a sex. They are not male or female until, if they're cooler, then they become female. And if the nest is warmer, they become male. And um, what they do with that yeah. is, is the females will know in the, their little herd or whatever you call it, I don't know what it's called, they'll know if there's more male dominance, then they'll have a cooler nest that have more females, and if there's more females, then they'll have a warmer nest and have more males. Yeah, and the Nile crocodiles, this is just a juvenile one, the Nile crocodiles will actually um, bury theirs in the sand. But the, the mothers will take care of the babies up until about a year, as long as they still stay around um, and haven't gotten, you know, taken taken by predators, the biggest predator to, this is a baby a crocodile, but the biggest predator to the babies are actually other alligators, other adult alligators. Um, you know, some other animals will come and get them or that kind of thing, but not, not generally. Um, and humans also will take the nest and just, you know, just for research and different things like that. This is actually an albino alligator. They're very, very rare. The only time you really can ever find one is in captivity. We actually saw one at the alligator farm. And um, the biggest thing is, is they do not produce the melanin that, just like with a regular albino, and their eyes are actually red. There's another type of albino alligator that their eyes are blue. 
So this is just another crocodile. The biggest difference between crocodiles and alligators is, is an alligator has more of a U-shaped snout where the crocodile has a V-shaped snout. The crocodile's teeth, the fourth tooth, the long one on the bottom, sorry, the long one on the bottom actually comes up over. This is actually a Siamese crocodile. They actually thought that these were extinct up until 2005 and they actually found a nest. And so now what they've done is they're, they've kind of incubated them, brought them back just to keep, um, just to keep that species alive. Um, and this again was actually one that we had found. This is alligator food. I've, I've only ever seen it battered and deep fried. I've not ever seen it any other way. It tastes like chicken. It's just a little bit tougher. Anytime my son sees alligator on the menu, he gets very, very upset and distraught because you do not eat alligator. And he was very upset at a place we went to down south that had alligator. Other uses for alligators is, is people like them for boots, handbags. I mean, I think they're attractive and pretty. Actually, these boots, I looked them up, they cost $10,000 if you want to purchase both boots. Um, so apparently they're a rare commodity and a lot of people like them. So, but um, also, I mean, I guess there is such a big craze that you have games and you have toys and um, all kinds of things. I mean, there's, if you look, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of toys, all kinds of books, all kinds of different other things for that deal with alligators. And actually, I think we have had all of those toys. So <laughs> anyway, that's it. All right. I looked up on answers.com and a group of alligators is called a congregation or a pod. Okay. I just kept calling it a herd. I don't know why, but I know the babies are hatchlings. That was a difference because when I was trying to pull up some stuff, the, I could never get it to just come up as like a baby alligator or whatever. So when I found out that they're called hatchlings, I could find them a lot easier. So. Do it. Yeah, I know. I should have just asked him. He would have known. Because at nine now, he, he really gets into the research effort. They're alligators. Yes, we've sat and watched those for hours to do nothing. They do nothing. <laughs> they just lay there. They do nothing. But we still watch them. No. Uh-uh. Now, yes, they're more tropical. There are um, actually the only place where alligators and crocodiles coexist is down in Florida. So they do have crocodiles and alligators that coexist down in Florida. And another tidbit, I ran out of time because I was trying to keep up with the slides, but Florida and Louisiana have over a million alligators that live there. Where is that? Where in Florida is that? The alligator farm mm -hmm. is in St. Augustine, Florida. <coughs> how many vermages from yours and how many did you find online? Um, I don't remember. Quite, all of them in the front were mine, and then I painted and put together some of the other, the, like the toys and stuff were... Um, but most of them, all of them through the front and everything, the eggs and those kind of things were all that I found online. So. Thank you.
Alright, so I'm Canadian, as most of you probably already know already, um, and where I've grown up, this is a tradition from the time you're able to even walk, they put you on skates, and out in your backyard is pretty much where you learn to skate or down at the local pond, and this is just an image from um, northern Canada, where a couple kids are learning how to skate, which is foundation to play hockey later on in life, which is pretty much a way of life in Canada. Out here is another picture of probably one of the nicest images that most Canadians would see, which is just a fresh pond on a fresh day as the sun's just risen and everyone's about to you get your friends and if there's a snow day and school's cancelled that's what you do from morning all the way until night and we'll make all kinds of contraptions to put lights in wherever we can just so you can play as long as possible and you go basically until you can't feel your toes your fingers anymore and go in and do it all over again the next day um, pond hockey pretty much is a way of tradition from when you're born, after, all the way through, I mean, I'm, I'm 22 years old and it still is, so when I went home at break, this is a picture of my backyard, and I came down to my backyard and just, you just skate, that's it, for hours upon hours, and it's pretty well uh, a way of life, like I said, and I know the cold temperatures for most southern people down here in Oklahoma aren't uh, the most desirable, but for me, when I go back home, that's what I look forward to, about four or five inches thick of ice maybe even a foot, depending on how cold it is, shovel off the snow, call up your friends, and have a day of pond hockey filled up, basically. Um, it kind of becomes, it's most comparable to football here, I guess you'd say, uh, in terms of the tradition with your friends, family, and just everyone in, within the nation that, you know, really cares about it so passionately. So being, being so far away from home, about 22 hours away, when I go home at break, it's the biggest thing to... I guess instead of most people would just get caught up with their friends and have a couple of drinks or go out to eat, but instead we call all our friends up that come back from university over the break and sit down, play pond hockey, eat along the way and just keep playing until you can't play anymore pretty much. Um, this is a huge foundation of just the camaraderie 
of being on a team, just like you would in football or basketball or any other sport. And it's kind of, you're, you're taught it all the way up, and that's kind of the basis to develop and to get up to different levels of hockey from playing just recreationally, and then if you decide to, you play after high school and juniors and try to get noticed to go play college hockey. So I here play college hockey at UCO, um, and basically it's, I owe, I owe a lot of it to basically from my foundation of pond hockey since I was a kid and just the overall heritage of being Canadian and kind of that way of life. Um, one of the greatest things about it is scoring, and when you score, especially with your teammates there, it's probably one of the, one of the greatest feelings of celebrating, just like when someone scores a touchdown and you see them you know, go nuts celebrating. Um, it's just kind of a surreal feeling that's indescribable with just words, something you have to kind of experience. But um, when you score your teammates, even if you're on or not on, it's still it's just uh, an amazing feeling that can't really be duplicated. And sort of the same is just like when people t- were to watch like a national championship and let's say OU is in the championship, it would be the same sort of deal of when they score, you feel that you, know, you scored and you're very passionate about it. So you'll see in the coming photos here um, about uh, when Canada won the Olympics in hockey, that was a passion that, was, that just united the whole nation and work shut down, everything shut down just for the game of hockey here. Um, this is a sequence here you'll see within UCO of my first college hockey goal and it was our first game that we eventually won. This was a game winning goal against a higher ranked opponent than us. Um, and it kind of, it gets, it gets crazy, just as crazy as football, if not more. Um, as you see within the celebration, there's someone jumping on top of me and then the next image you'll see me on the ground and there's a pylon basically as if there was uh, a touchdown with a bunch of people going nuts in the end zone. And then throughout there too, obviously the fan support is a huge thing and that's one of the reasons why you feed it because it's such a hard game to walk away from when you're, you know, it's just like football for some people. When you're born and raised with it, it's just, these are the moments like this that you never want to, you never want to miss out on. So quitting and just walking away from it is a hard thing to do. So you try to go as far as possible as you can. Um, and one, one day, hopefully my goal is to play professional eventually. Um, but especially even though being at UCO, I'm sure many people didn't know we had a hockey team, but within the last five or six years it's really taken off. And when you're part of a program playing against rival schools such as OU, um, Penn State, just some other big D1 football schools, it's a different atmosphere than I'm, than I'm used to back home because the fans go nuts for it and half of them don't even know all the rules in the game. They're just UCO versus OU or Penn State or whoever it is. So when you score, especially a big goal against you know other big D1 schools and you, and you come up, it's just, it's something, it's a natural high that no drug or no substance could ever ever duplicate, ever. Um, this is Team Canada winning the World Juniors back home and I went home for Christmas break. The, they won the gold medal. And this is a celebrating, this is a celebration of after the end of one of their games they had won. And this was in the United States, but the whole building in Buffalo, New York was absolutely packed with uh, all Canadians in red and white. The last thing is the camaraderie again. The team camaraderie, I mean, we have long, anywhere from 18 to 25 hour bus rides to go play teams like Penn State or Liberty in Virginia or just, you know, other big schools. And this is, this is probably one of the funnest things too, even though it's long bus rides, that team bonding, even though there's some guys you might not like or this or that, that, to get away from that is probably the second hardest thing to walk away from because instantly when I came down here from thousands of miles away, 
your team becomes your family, and that's something that you can't you can't replace again. No matter how many other friends you have back home or whatever, there's nothing as as close as your team. And the last picture is people getting a little bit silly and stupid after Canada won the Olympics because just as if OU were to win a national championship here or the Cowboys were to win a Super Bowl when Canada won the gold medal, all the seats, all the streets were closed down and people just had a non-stop party to celebrate the passion that unites all Canadians everywhere. That's it. Well, when you, get the, when you get the short link, first you go to grab the link, and it'll show up on the Flickr images that say um, grab the link, and then beside it you can say grab the shortened link. Really? Yeah. yeah. So then you just grab the shortened link instead and copy cool. and paste it, and there you go. I didn't even know that. That's yeah, so if you were to just search any Flickr image, and you go to grab the link, when you go to grab that link, it will give you the long one that would be real long at first, and then you can just grab the short one instead. So, so when you go share this at the top, uh-huh. and then you go grab the link. So grab that link, and then you say show short. Oh, URL. nice. There you go. Cool. And you all find that out too? No. no. <laughs> that's cool. I mean, I think they know when they add that. That's nice. Yeah, so just, it makes it a little more. It's more user friendly for people if they actually want to, you know, copy down here. Yeah. Have you ever gotten injured? Yeah, uh, I've had multiple stitches and broken bones and stuff like that, but that's just kind of all part of the game, right? Makes it. What's your opinion about the controversy that recently, as far as the fighting? And, and I, I didn't actually get the follow up, but I just heard that like that one of the the hats or the lack of the bots or somebody was going to pull out and support the NHL. Yeah, it was uh, it was Air Canada actually, and that would be um, professional suicide because they sponsor the Toronto Maple Leafs and the building is called the Air Canada Center so it's kind of like someone pulling out the sponsorship for the Dallas Cowboys there because it's just it w- wouldn't make sense because it's one of the top one of the top um, markets in all of the NHL so they wouldn't do those because of um, hits to the head or you know unnecessary roughness and they didn't like what some of the Americans were doing with uh, with regards to not taking action or suspension for certain things but it's part of the game so wait, is it more um, harsh slash, I mean, physical and uh-huh. aggressive in Canada or the U.S.? Um, I guess, I guess I'd say within Canada, like overall, but then when you're playing professional, I mean, it doesn't really make as much of a difference. It's just taken to heart more in Canada, just as, like, a controversial football call would be taken to heart more or, or like a bad hit, right? So it just matters what market you're in, but overall, because the players, whether they're Canadian, American, or European, are dispersed throughout all 30 teams, so it just kind of does, doesn't make a difference then. But in minor hockey and in juniors or college hockey, it's a little bit more, a little bit more controversial in Canada. That was like a one hockey game, and mm-hmm. it was definitely a more. It wasn't like a major league, but yep. I, I really wanted to go and see a hockey game, but mm-hmm. I didn't enjoy it because everybody was so not the people playing, yep. but everybody in the crowd was just so mean. And yeah. little children were like screaming and like, die! <laughs> like, yeah. These people are like, was that here or where was it? No, it was in Arizona. And I, I couldn't yeah. believe that these, like, just five, five-year-olds were screaming, like, mm-hmm. die at the players. <laughs> <laughs> to, me, to me, it's the equivalent of, like, when I saw the movie Blindside for football, when, like, kids go nuts over Thanksgiving watching football and 
can't believe so-and-so made this call or that call and just freaking out against whatever team they're playing. It's the exact same thing of, it's just monkey see, monkey do, right? The little kids see their parents doing it, and that's it. Well, it's like soccer in Latin America, too. Mexico, yeah. I went to see the U.S. play Mexico, and, and oh my gosh, 120,000 yeah. people in that second stadium. It's, it's, it's madness, yeah. Insane. Somewhere closer to home. Well, for college hockey in Canada, um, you either you can play in Canada if you play a certain level like of, of juniors, but then you would you would uh, be ineligible to play um, in the states if you do that. Like you would forfeit your scholarship eligibility. So by going to the states, I just kind of my last year of juniors, you go and you don't play just high school and go to college like most sports. You have an in-between step called juniors. So I played um, juniors in Canada, and then my last year I played in the States. And actually the recruiter for um, for our program, one of them lives in Wisconsin, and that's where I played. So I actually, it's not my freshman year here. Um, I played my first year of college hockey in Wisconsin, and then I transferred out because I still had the remaining offer, and I just wanted to come somewhere warm. So, <laughs> so you were basically recruited. Yeah, I was recruited to come down here like for my freshman year and I decided not to and then they re-offered me again after the first year because I wasn't happy there and came down here and figured if I can play hockey and come outside of the locker room and shorts, t-shirt and sandals I might as well. <laughs> <laughs> Are you happy here? Yeah. Yeah. Do you like Oklahoma? Yeah. Do you like Oklahoma? I do. It's different. It's a different like different way of culture and different way of life. Like I don't even know all the rules in football but that's, that's not a big deal and I'm kind of introducing people to skating and hockey but a little bit different. I've been told I talked a little bit too fast, but. <laughs> Where in Canada are you from? Uh, Toronto. Hi, my name's Catherine, and I did my Pechacucha over Girl Scouts, and yes, I was a Girl Scout once, kind of forced into it by my mom, but in the end, I really enjoyed it, and I think it's a good opportunity for girls because it helps develop, like, early independence and, like, instills, like, teamwork values and future career ideas. Some history, this is the founder, Juliet Gordon Lowe and she lives in Savannah, Georgia, and she started with only 18 girls, and today it is practically like 3.2 million girls, and it's like in various countries. There's like 92 countries 
and it's overseas too. Um, have you ever heard of a Girl Scout Council? It's just a fancy word for like offices because they employ people. Their main headquarters is in New York. And um, we have three in Oklahoma. There's one for Tulsa. And then there's one in the central area, which is called Redlands, and then the western area. Um, a troop is mainly made up of 10 to 15 girls, but it can vary. Um, my troop was probably like five to six. And there's usually a leader or two. You don't really have to be qualified to be a Girl Scout leader, but some classes might help. Um, there are five levels in Girl Scouts. These ones are Daisies. Daisies and Brownies are probably the ones you buy your cookies from because they're like the cutest. Um, usually they're like fifth grade, or they're like kindergarten, starting maybe ending in first grade. And this is what they wear. Their uniform consists of a flower, which they usually earn by doing a good deed, like helping their mom and like the yellow tab that you see just um, tells them what they're, what year and what they are. Um, they also get a diamond for cooking sales, so in end, like you get one for each year, you'll have like a whole row. And Daisies only go for one year, and then they have a bridging ceremony, which is where they just cross over to the next level. And that usually follows by like a big cake party and some introduction games to your new troop. Um, brownies is the next level. Um, they're probably going into, I think, third, third or sixth grade. Third, third, it's from third to sixth grade. And they're probably eight to 11 years old. Their uniform is brown. And this is when you usually can do like camping experiences, probably starting to go in and out of state more often for like trips. And I started as a brownie. So like usually if you don't see anything on their sash, they're probably just starting out. They go, um, they have to be a brownie for like at least three years. These are juniors and juniors, their age range is um, probably 12, maybe 14 to their They wear green and they're mainly their important things they do they start doing community service. And mainly, it could be like helping out a teacher or like not nothing major, like helping out a church. And some of the important ones are the four signs of the world, is what they call signs of the world, signs of the sun. It's just where they do like mini activities. And these are cadets, which is the fourth level. They're probably just finishing, no, they're probably just starting uh, high school or going through high school. They wear like a khaki color and usually the khaki color stays all the way to your senior year. Um, they also have, they also do a silver award, which is like the highest I've earned, but there's also a gold award. And mainly it's like a whole bunch more hours of community service, like probably 50 hours of community service. And then you have an option of doing leader things as a senior, which is what these are, they're probably just, they probably just got their gold award. And they're probably like 18 right now. So it's like after the end of your And
Maine family, they have 75 hours for community service to do. And the community service I was working on before I quit was building a garden for, I think, this um, um, These are some activities that you can do, like camping. I went to, I was a brownie when I was camping. I haven't gone back, but I did like sailing, horseback riding, and you earn badges and many, and you do crafts. And then there's international or world thinking day where you just like dress up. I chose this picture because Girl Scouts is like, it teaches you teamwork, like a foundation. It begins and it, it's, it's good to start early so that way we can instill it, like for school or for life. Um, this one I chose for goals because it helps. Um, um, it helps them by achieving because they're, they're earning badges, so they have to learn to plan ahead and to map out what they're going to do, and it also helps them in their life. This picture I chose, it just gives them a hobby that they can learn or helps them find their personal interest of what they like, um, and they also find their own um, expression of themselves. And there's some... Um, careers that you can do like when I was um in JRTC like this guy came up to me and said that if I had earned my gold award I could have gotten probably a scholarship like there's probably some scholarships out there if you're a girl scout and earn your gold award and it just gives you an insight on like what careers are out there so it's just like <coughs> starting out in the middle of nowhere and that's
So after that example, hopefully you can just see how it is so, children with a reading comprehension problem have frustration, anxiety, and tension. And they use that, they, this is just something fast, that's how you can remember that. And so we as teachers, future teachers, have to come up with strategies on how to release these symptoms to help them learn. So there's four specific areas of teaching that we can um, focus on. And the first one is content of what we teach them. The second is the procedures by which we teach the material. The third is the environment of our classroom. And the fourth is the technology that we use to help facilitate learning. And then specifically today, I'm really going to talk more about content because there's an overwhelming amount of methods that people choose to use. Um, most of them, the, just the goal is to increase fluency and reading comprehension. So I'm just going to highlight three of my favorites, which are repeat reading, vocabulary flashcards, and modeling. And now, <laughs> this looks funny out of the blue, but um, some of the research I did was um, some teachers use song lyrics and poems to help um, increase vocabulary and to help with repeat readings. And so the song lyrics just um, interested the students, and they already had a background of the words, so it's easier for them to correlate the two in their learning. Another thing is that song lyrics, um, let's see, rhymes, contrasts, and patterns help the brain process the new information quicker and faster. And then with poems, you can choose silly poems. Um, they also have strong rhyme patterns. They use figurative language, and then just the topic that interests the child. And then we're also going to talk about modeling a little bit. And this just, if we read to them and we show them how it shifts down, where to pause in the thing, where to change the pitch, which words to stress, which segments to elongate, it just helps them to see how it should go. Okay, now this is kind of a weird picture, the next two pictures. I just, I picked this because I feel like children with reading comprehension problems just, their brain has so much great information in it and they don't know how to organize it or put it on the right shelf and pull it out when they need it. So we as teachers should just help them put it in a nice, organized way so that they can pull it out when they need it and use it. Um, and then just our goal should just be to um, teach them so that they can further in the future and not be, so, okay, sorry. So here's the last slide, which is my favorite. So go confidently in the direction of your dreams. Um, and that's what we hope to achieve by teaching children how to read.
personally feel that it's something that we can all do that's extremely important for us and um, 
I donate whole blood every 54 days, and uh, it's very, it was very difficult for me to actually do this presentation because I get really nauseous and squeamish with blood and needles, and uh, I know a lot of people are like that, so I tried to avoid that. This is probably the only picture that you'll actually see a needle in on this presentation. Um, but uh, I have, um, oh gosh. <laughs> Um, I have a, I've had a lot of people that are close to me that have uh, had need for blood products, and um, one of them is my little stepsister. Her name is Jada. You'll see a picture of her in a minute. And uh, I met her last year. I've known her for a little over a mm -hmm. year now, and she's three years old. When she was born, at five weeks premature, and she was born anemic, and it was a very sick little baby, and. She had to have, over her first year of life, she spent a majority of that time in the hospital. She received multiple blood transfusions, and today, look at her, she's healthy, happy. She's very small still, she's three years old, but um, it, I'm just so grateful to whoever, you know, helped g give me the chance to know her. Um, also, right now, my dad is preparing to um, go through a, a treatment plan with neurology, urology, and oncology. So um, I'm sure that if he, if he, it'll be a miracle if he doesn't need have any need for a blood product through all that. Um, in America, less than five percent of eligible blood donors give blood, and if you live to age 72, which is only uh, seven years after the acceptable retirement age, there's a 95% chance that you will need uh, blood products in your lifetime. In my research, I learned that more than 38,000 blood donations are needed every day. And those uh, came from the Oklahoma Blood Institute website. The basic requirements, which not everyone knows, um, to donate blood are you have to be feeling healthy the day you go in to donate. You can't be, you know, have a cold. Uh, good health, 17 years of age, and must weigh over 109 pounds. There are many situations where blood donations may be uh, deferred, such as anemia, blood pressure, also and if you have any new body piercings within, or tattoos within the last six months, or if you got them from a, uh, a non-improved location, then you won't be able to donate. If you're pregnant, if you have a cold, flu, infection, AIDS, hepatitis, organ or tissue transplant, or international stay over three months are all reasons for temporary or permanent blood uh, deferral. Donating blood is also a process where you receive many material benefits. I donate through OBI. I've never donated through uh, the Red Cross, but I know that they are also, uh, they also give out lots of stuff. Um, I have acquired shirts, cups, caps, backpacks, and uh, they also have this Members for Life program that's online, and you just take your member ID number and you log into their website, and every time you donate, you get points. And you can buy, there's all kinds of stuff on the website. They have uh, every, they have shirts, more shirts, they have lawn chairs, blankets, thermos, thermoses. Um, and also, if you donate blood, you, um, they do a little mini health check, and you get your results of that through the mail. Um, 
a lot of we're in college. A lot of people are interested in the free food. Uh, you know, they they want you to hang out, but not only do they want you to stay and have something to eat and drink, but they insist that you do to make sure that you're feeling well. Um, so if you donate blood, you can get free food, clothes, a health check, and points to an online store for free stuff. Uh, if you have an appointment, your donation time can be as quick. This is my own. Um, it can be as quick as 30 minutes. The last time I donated, I uh, we they time you when you're actually donating the actual process. It took me four minutes to fill one pound um, of blood, and uh, it, so in a little as 30 minutes and a bit of uncomfort, you can save lives. According to OBI, you can save three lives with just one donation. The nearest OBI donation center is at 33rd and Broadway here in Edmond. There's another site that's in downtown Oklahoma City, and there's also a Red Cross donation center down there. And I know we have um, blood banks in Oklahoma City area, but I'm not interested in that. I know a lot of people are, and I don't have anything against it, but I just didn't look anything up on that. Um, in a single year, more than 14 million blood transfusions are required, which goes to about 4.5 million patients who receive blood each year. Uh, giving blood is the gift of life, and you never know when yourself or a loved one might be the, recip the recipient. That's why I donate blood. Benefits vary from food to life. Donating, donating is a selfless act that can really affect someone's lives. And if you can um, use the basic requirements that I told you today and you are an eligible blood donor, I really hope that you will take the time to donate. And like I said, I am squeamish and I, I can't watch it. I have to you know, do one of these, but it, it's worth it. It really is. the normal, what you would normally just go in and donate is whole blood, yeah, okay. uh, but they also do, you know, the plasma, okay. which is when they filter it back in. I've done that before, but I don't want to do that again. <laughs> I, if they call me every once in a while and said, we really need this, and, you know, if they call me and say, we really have a strong need for this, then I'll do it, but I, I don't like that. They take it out and put it Yeah, they, they just take out the plasma. Yeah. It's, it's a longer process. Crazy. There's nothing, it's not really anything bad. It just made me really cold and uncomfortable. Yeah. And, uh, Hannah? Um, so you can't get blood like if you're on a tattoo only in the last six months? Right. Okay. And that's an interesting process when they ask all those questions. It's been a while since I give them. They're like, if you want to get your eyes open to what the health hazards are of living life and, you know, being sexually active and doing other things, it's like, <laughs> a pretty eye-opening questionnaire. It's not like yeah. a regular, right. how are you feeling? Yeah. It still makes you feel, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I usually just go through those subjects now because I've read them all before, but it's like, they ask, you know, if I was born in 1990, so it asks questions about the 80s, and I'm like, 
No, I was not in the <laughs> United Kingdom in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you said something about blood bank, blood bank. I've never like heard of it. It's where you, you sell your blood. Oh, okay. Yeah. Honestly, I guess blood bank. I, I, I think that's what they call them, blood yeah. bank. Like you sell you your blood? Yeah. On where? There's a lot of students who go there. I think How much do you make? Money. You can make if you, if you, you can donate, you can do it every other day, and you can make $500 in one month. Really? Yeah. No, my friend told me that yesterday, because I was telling him that I, I would not ever sell my book. You know, I, to me, it's, I have a, it's more than enough, so I'm going to just give it to whoever needs it. How much No. The plasma, because they filter back in, I the body, but quickly, I don't know, that's what I'm going to do. I can
if you don't have a plan of what to say, you know, you won't be happy probably with what you record and, you know, you're going to end up taking a long time to do it. So plan what you're going to do. It doesn't have to be a, a you know, total read the script. You can have an outline. Uh, but those are your assignments for this week. Okay? Yes? Uh, on the